Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Wednesday night we do a book of the Bible, we go through a verse by verse or chapter by chapter, however it works. And tonight we're going to begin a study going through the book of Esther. We've went through the book of Ruth and Daniel, and in the time frame of Daniel, Esther happens as well. So Esther and Daniel are, in a sense, contemporaries. Now, Esther's kind of a unique book because God is not mentioned. It's the only book of the Bible. But Esther is a historical book. You can find it in the history books. It's proven fact that people say, well, the Bible isn't, you can't count on it. Boy, look at Esther. It's everywhere in history. And it talks about the providence of God. Now, why is Esther there? Well, it explains, and we'll see it not tonight, but later on, the Jewish feast of Purim. It's a feast that the Jews celebrate annually, the 14th and 15th days of March. It's not mentioned in the feast list of Leviticus 23. If we didn't have Esther, it's the only place that it's mentioned in the Bible. You see, uh, Satan has done everything he can to destroy the Jewish nation all throughout history. The Jews celebrate Passover because of their deliverance from Egypt when Pharaoh tried to annihilate them. Every December, we celebrate, they celebrate Hanukkah, Feast of Lights, for the celebration and the victory of Judas Maccabeus and uh, the cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem. And Purim commemorates the victory over Haman and the conspiracy in the Persian Empire to eliminate the Jews. And Satan will continue to do that all down throughout history, but it will never happen. And so we have this great story, this great book, and it gets set up for us in chapter one. So, so let's begin. Chapter one, the reveling of the kingdom. The reveling of the kingdom. Where it begins is a big party, a big celebration. There's a king that's kind of arrogant. There's a lot of kings war in those days. And he throws a celebration. Verse one, These events happened in the days of King Exodus, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. That's a lot of territory. So this king is very well known historically. He's in a place where everybody's aware of him. And at the time, he ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. Now, in the third year of his reign... He gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. What's happening is he's beginning to set up an invasion of Greece. His dad tried it, didn't work, so he wants more territory. So he's going to set up this invasion, and he's going to do that by getting all the people who are under him pumped up. All right, let's motivate them. Let's help them. And so he throws these big parties. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes, the nobles of the providences. The celebration lasted, this is a big party, 180 days. That's a long time. 
Now, it wasn't 180 days with all the same people. He brought in the princes. He brought in different other areas, everything through. But for 180 days, all he did was bring these people in, celebrated with them a tremendous display of opulent wealth, of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. He's trying to impress people, trying to, we can do this, we can conquer this. And when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people. So in other words, people like you and me would get to go to it eventually. The nobodies, the people who weren't up in the high officials, for everybody from the greatest to the least who lived in the town of Susa. And it lasted for seven days. That's pretty long too. Held in the courtyard of the palace garden. And the courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embroidered in marble pillars. You know, all the fluff that all the women look at and go, oh, isn't this great? And the guys look at and go, where's the food? Right? I mean, that's kind of what he's doing. He's giving us the details. Here's what he did, how he went. And gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of property, whatever that is, and marble and mother of pearl and other costly stones and all of this opulence that is going on there. And drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. And there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. Just keep eating, keep drinking, keep going on. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking for the king had instructed all the palace officials, serve each man as much as he wanted. Let it go. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So the story begins with this king wanting to gather the crowd, wanting to gather his royal officials, wanting to gather the armies, getting them in a mood of saying, look how powerful I am, look how much I have, look at how great this is, look at how generous I am to you, we're going to go fight and we're going to conquer, we're going to make this. So that's how it starts. Secondly, the request of the king. So, you know, goes on and on and all of this happens and all this has taken place. On the seventh day of the feast, after seven days of going at it, you know, when the king was in high spirits because of the wine, he was drunk, right? Nice way to say it. He told the seven eunuchs who attended him, his, his bodyguards, and there's their names, you can pronounce them however you want, I don't know, to bring queen, the queen, bring her around, put the royal crown on her head, and I want everyone to see all the other men, I want her to see how beautifully she is. I want her, them to be jealous of me that I'm married to such a lovely woman. And I want them to see this for she was a very beautiful woman. So he brings it in. Things are coming to a conclusion. He's not in his right mind. Because all of you would know, right? This isn't going to set well with the woman, is it? Ladies? No. Just not going to be that way. We don't have questions yet, do we? Okay, good. So that's where we're at. 
So he invites her in front of all the people. Remember, everybody's in town's there. Everybody's in high spirits. Everyone's wonderful. And then the refusal of the queen. You know, notice what happens. It's predictable. When they conveyed the king's order to the queen, she refused to come. And this made the king furious and he burned with anger. Kings are kind of spoiled. They're used to getting their way. They don't like being told no. And so what we have going on in chapter one, and don't forget this, we're given the background to a story of how Esther is going to come into power. And we're given the back of it. We're seeing how it got here. We're seeing the display of might. We're seeing the, the generation that she's living in. We're seeing how this king acts and operates. We're seeing what took place. So she, he invites her. He says, come on out, parade yourself around. I want everybody to see how great and beautiful you are. I want everybody to be jealous. And they send a message and she goes, no, not coming. And he gets ticked. Normal. So we have next then the research of the law. The research of the law. So here's what happens. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and the customs for he always asked their advice. He had like a cabinet. He had a group of men. This isn't the group that's his bodyguards, the one I mentioned earlier. This is a different group of people. These are the ones he would go to. He trusted their advice, what they had to say. They were the lawyers. They were the people who understood everything and they saw that was going on. And so he goes and he, as he usually does, he says, you know, and he gives the name of these guys. And again, there they are. Uh, they met with the king regularly held the highest positions in the empire. So these are the guys right under the king. These are the guys that have intimate access to him. These are the guys that are giving him advice. And here's what he says to him. What must be done to the queen? What, what do I need to do? She's told me no. What do I do? How do I handle this? Because you see, she hasn't just quietly told him no. He boisterously let it be known to everyone, pray in the queen. So everybody knew what he had said. And everybody knew she said no. So the crowd's kind of murmuring. She said no to the king. What's the king going to do? And he turns to his what do I do? How, how do I handle this? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders, properly sent through the eunuchs, through the advisors. What, what is it that I need to do? What needs to happen? Because you say no to that. Because she, she broke three principal rules that should never have happened. She was a woman challenging the authority of a man. Now, we're not going to go back and rewrite history. That was the way it was back then. There'll be more of that later on. You have a wife disobeying her husband. And you have a subject defying the king. Three areas of which she broke all three of them. 
and the king is upset. So, the response of the advisors. He goes to them, what do I do here, guys? What, what is it? I don't want to just respond. What's the law say? What am I allowed to do? What is it that I can do that everybody will know this is the way it is? So, here's their response. He answers the king and the nobles, and he says, the queen has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. She's not only ticked you off, she's ticked off everybody. She's denied everything. Women everywhere You're just waiting for me to get in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that the queen has refused before the king. (laughs) Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. I'm not taking any questions to that. Okay? Just so we know. Now again, we'd say, oh, this is horrible. See, here's the great thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't rewrite history for us like our schools do. It's the way it was. It's the way it was accepted. This is a big deal. To you and I, come on, let's get real. Come on, this shouldn't have ever been going on. We, we just want to, yeah, big deal. But to them, this is big. Divide the king. Divide him in front of people. Divide your husband. Big. So, the results of the queen's refusal. Notice what happens. So, if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and the Medes that cannot be revoked. In other words, once it's written, it's done. You can't amend it, you can't go back and undo it, it's there. It should order that Queen Vashti should be forever banished from the presence of the king. The door's open now for Esther, isn't it? And that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. And when this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, Husbands will rejoice everywhere, throw parties, celebrate. Come on, let's lighten up. (laughs) Whatever their rank will receive proper respect from their wives. And the king and his nobles thought this made good sense. So he followed his counsel and he sent letters to all the parts of the empire, to each providence in its own script and language, 
proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. <laughs> yeah. You know, word would get out. Hey, did you hear what the queen did? Did you hear what the queen? Before long, the whole empire's were. Did you hear the queen? She disobeyed the king. You know, she's married to him. She, she married to him. She did that. Well, then, well, she did that. I can do that. Because that's the way things operate, isn't it? You know, somebody would have got on Facebook and said, hey, did you see what the king did to the queen? And did you see how that went? And boy, before long, it's all out there and it's posted and it's everywhere. And, and then the story said, you know, she defied the king. She slapped the king. She hit the king. She told the king, you know, she told the king, oh, no, she just tonight. And so he stops it, says, here's what's going to go on. So we have this first chapter in this book that gives us great insight to history of how it was back in the day. And by the way, just so you know, no book that is more more pro-woman than the Bible. There's none. The Bible elevates women to a whole different level than this does. Down throughout history, still does. But this is the story. This is what happens. So now there's no queen, and then we'll pick it up in chapter two next week. But okay, so what? What does that say to us? Well, indulge me, if you will, for just a little bit, because there's a story in the New Testament that's kind of similar to this that applies to you and I. It's in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king, we just left one, right? Who prepared a great wedding feast for his son, throws a banquet, and when the banquet was ready, he sent servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to them, tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, everything is ready, come to the banquet. They were aware of the invitation. They were aware of what was going to happen. It's ready. It's time to come. Everything is prepared. You know, it's like when you're, somebody calls you to dinner. Come on, sit down. Hey, it's going to get cold if you don't get here. But the guest he had invited ignored them, went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and even killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. The guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out into the streets and the corners and invite everyone you see. You see, you and I have been invited by the king to a banquet, to a place. So you see there in your notes, let me just go down this little list for you. The king provides for us and prepares for us. 
Remember Jesus, before he left, he told his disciples, he gathered them together, and what did he tell them? He said, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I'm going to come and get you so you can come and be with me. You don't get to come however you want. You don't get to do whatever you want. He just says, look, I'm, I'm preparing a place. I've got some place for you. I've got a place. I want you to come with me. I'm telling you now that I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And in my father's house are many rooms, many mansions. I will come back for you. You're invited. And the king has the privilege to invite whoever, wherever, whenever he wants. And he says, <laughs> he's issued an invitation for everyone to come, hasn't he? Everyone's invited. I'm preparing a place. I'm preparing a feast. I'm preparing a banquet. I'm preparing a time for you and I to be together. And it's being prepared right now. Even as we, I speak here tonight, it's being prepared for us. He says, when it's finished, I'll come get you. When dinner's done and on the table, I'm going to come. When the room is ready, I'll let you know I expect you to be there. And the king chooses to invite whoever he wants to the banquet. After all, it's his banquet, isn't it? He's the one who has spent the expense, right? He's the one who has the place. So it's his, and he invites whoever he wants and so the invitation is come by the king and to honor the king by presenting us as his. The king wanted to show off the queen, but you know Christ wants to show us off as well? Because the Bible says we're his masterpiece. He's proud of us. That we will be, in essence, on display to show Satan the power of God and the power of the cross. And he's issued an invitation for everyone to come to the banquet. Now, in the passage that I read in Matthew, the implication is very clear that what he's saying is, Jesus is saying in that parable, I've invited the Jewish people. They've said, no, they're not coming, so now I'm inviting the Gentiles. You know, the servants went, they killed them. <laughs> Crucifixion. So now everybody's open. The king comes. He says, I, I've chosen you. I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to rejoice with me. And if you reject the invitation, there's a price to pay. Won't you come? And you see, one day, Jesus is going to come and say, okay, it's ready. Let's go home. And you're going to say, well, let me look at my calendar first. Could you come a little bit later? I got a nail appointment that I need to make. I got a game that I really want to see here. Could you come back? Or you get the invitation, you say, wow, okay, I'm invited. Don't I have someplace else to be so I can say no? Come on, you've done it. That right? We still good here? Okay. And you see, he's going to come. And he's coming for those who are ready and will accept the invitation. And just as the king in our story here in the opening chapter of Esther issued an invitation for someone to come and they refused, God's issued an invitation for every one of us to come. 
And the question is, are you going to accept the invitation? Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be faithful? Or are you going to say, well, I'm busy and I don't know, it's inconvenient and, you know, I know he's going to come someday, but I've got other stuff going on and it's not important and I'm offended. And God says, look, whosoever will may come. And one day I'm going to send out the servants and they're going to say, it's ready, come now. And for those who are ready, they will go in and celebrate and have the banquet and have the mansion and the place. For those who aren't, hell is very real. And so her disobedience affected the entire kingdom. And you've heard me tell you over and over again, our disobedience always affects others as well, doesn't it? When we refuse to obey, others notice. So we have this great story that's taken place that we're going to learn about in the weeks ahead. But there's an invitation that's been given and rejected. And unfortunately, today, the moment we live, there's an invitation that's been given and many have rejected it. And I just hope tonight that you're not one of those. That whenever he says, come, you say, I'm on my way. Whatever you want, I'm ready. I prepared myself. I've dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I've accepted Christ. I'm coming to the table. I'm coming to what you prepared for me. Now just think about that. God prepared this earth that we live on for us. And now he's in heaven preparing another place better than this place for us. And he invites everyone to come, but not everyone will come. Your call, your choice. Last verse, a few verses. Scriptures say I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem. It's chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in it Anyone who accepts it will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But those who reject him, reject his invitation, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You don't like it, but it is now the cornerstone of life. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, so they meet their fate that was planned for them because of their disobedience. But you are not like that. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result... God gets to parade you in front of others and you can show the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What a great awareness and great knowledge of God. So once again, I think it maybe before we go, could we just take a moment, each one of us, and Lord, I know you've invited me. I accept your invitation. 
Or maybe you're here tonight and Lord, you know, I know you've invited me and I haven't really responded yet. But would you help me to live a life that says, yes, whenever you call, I'll be ready. Lord, we thank you tonight for how you have chosen us, for how you have allowed us to be invited. And Lord, help us to receive the invitation. Help us not to reject it. Help us not to refuse what you want to do. But whatever you call us to, would you help us to respond and obey? Lord, not our will, but yours. Not our ways, but yours. Because Lord, one day the invitation is going to be given. Trumpet's going to sound. The voice will say, come on up. That feast is ready. The time is now. Help us to be ready for that day. And we go to live a life displaying your greatness and your goodness. A life that is ready for the moment when it comes. Thank you for inviting us and including us. Let us live a life that declares your goodness and greatness, we pray. In thy name. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.